Greetings and welcome to UCP Focus, our little deep dive into a subject matter on the main timeline. And we have now crossed over into the parallel universe that is Terminal with myself, Cliff Foster, aka the amazing Cliff. And I'm accompanied by this handsome young bugger. Uh, yeah, I'm preparing to go through the five stages of grief with this one. I am Ash Versus. <laughs> And if you didn't already know, a lot of the UCP episode was devoted to a certain computer game remake, Majora's Mask 3D. But this time around, we're doing a deep dive, not on the remake, but on the original, The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask. Which is also 3D. (laughs) Just it's the second 3D Zelda game, but Majora's Mask 3D is the second... 3D Zelda's game in three. Does that make it 60 <laughs> or 33 double D? Cup size? Well, we'll be talking about 64 double D's in a minute, but hey ho. So let's start this by talking to you about the Zelda timeline, because if Ash is getting confused by that, some of you might not understand how the Zelda timeline works. You'd think to yourself that it started with the original Zelda game, and went all the way down from there to this point. No. So how this works is that we have the start of the Zelda series, which started with Skyward Sword. Yes, the game that's free away from this. No, hang on. So we have Wind Waker. We have Twilight Princess, Minish Cap. And then we have Skyward Sword come out. So that is four away from this game, but that was the first. Okay, right. Get get centered. Gotta explain this all. And then we go down to the Minish Cap, the Four Swords, and then we stop at the important part of this. And that was a slightly important game. And it was the game before this one. The Legends of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Goku Yon. Now, Ocarina of Time itself, hugely successful game. We're going to go into, I'm sure at some point in our journey, we are going to come back to Ocarina of Time. So I don't want to spend too long on Ocarina of Time. But I, I know that, Ash, you have been enjoying finding out some facts of the development cycle of Ocarina of Time and how that started on the uh, the Mario 64 engine and you found out some really cool things and I know you were pretty excited and mind-blown by it. <laughs> just, just the concept of Ocarina of Time is basically the scrag ends of Mario 64. It's the ideas that they either couldn't implement, thought they shouldn't implement, or didn't have time to implement, including Mario on a horse. Why does Link have a horse in Ocarina of Time? Because in Mario 64, they thought, let's put Mario on a horse, which begs the question, why would you put Mario on a horse? What makes (laughs) you look at a little fat Italian plumber and go, you know what he needs? 
Horse. horse. Maybe they'd been watching Hard Target with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and the bit where Wilford Brimley rides off on a horse and that poor horse just <laughs> doesn't look like it survives the night. And they saw Wilford Brimley on the horse and went, hey, he's got a moustache. Mario's got a moustache. <laughs> we put Mario on a horse. <laughs> Yoshi, I've got my horse outside. Um, but that was the other thing I said to you off mic, is yeah. why would you give Mario a horse? He's got a dinosaur. <laughs> Which, admittedly, he spends most of the time donkey punching, but that's a whole separate story. But Ocarina of Time, if I understand correctly, is kind of, it's the, it's the nexus point. It's the fracture point. Yes. It's the point where the world of... Zelda becomes a multiverse because there are three separate timelines from this point, aren't there? Yeah, so you have basically where it all comes down to Ganon at this point and if the hero is successful. Paul and we've Ganon got one cheap show. The, yeah, Paul Gannon. It's all down to Paul Gannon. Paul Gannon, you've got a lot to answer for. But no, it all comes down to if the hero of time. So we we the, each link has a sort of name to him. This is the important one. This is the 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 divider, the hero of time. So if the hero of time was not successful, the sages were still able to get Ganon and trap him. And that started the first timeline. Now that timeline starts with Link to the Past, then goes down to Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening can change positions in this, depending if you're looking at the Hyrule Historia or several different versions, but it can change around. We have Oracle Seasons at that point and a game that we've only recently just spoken about, which was a link between worlds, because that was the interconnecting game when the 3DS version of Majora's Mask was coming out. So then we have Triforce Heroes. Yep, the orders remain the same slightly for a second, but then we jump all the way, all the way back to the original Legends of Zelda and... The Legends of Zelda, everyone's favourite, The Adventures of Lake. Um, so that is the first timeline. And we're going to go to the third timeline because this we're, we're going to be concentrating heavily on the second timeline today. So the third timeline is, is that basically Link... So at this point, when Link is successful, Link is sent back in time by Zelda to go and relive his childhood. But obviously that world that is he's sent back from continues. So that means that, that that hero of time still affected that world. He still saved that world and the timeline still continued. And that meant that the timeline continued without him. So we come down to the Toon Link. Oh, I can't see, man. It's Toon Link. So that is Wind Waker, Phantom Hourglass, and Spirit Tracks. So that's that timeline. So you've got to imagine that they see, as as if you've ever played Wind Waker, that it's a coming-of-age story with that Link that he's been given these robes to wear, and it's like, a well, there's a, that's what the Hero of Time did, and we still celebrate the Hero of Time on this island. You know, in that's where it comes from is because he wasn't it was like a he was like a legend at that point a a legend of link (laughs) not as catchy a title but let me just let me just make sure i'm keeping up with this because this is your much as um pc genjin was my episode to lead you on this is your episode to lead me on and i'm just trying to make sure i'm getting around this because i love a good time travel or multiverse thing so up until the Rock Arena of Time, we've got a single timeline. Yes. So from Skyward Sword or from the creation of that universe through Skyward Sword up to Ocarina of Time is one. Then yes. we've got timeline one, 
which is where uh, Link does not defeat Ganon, but the Seven Sages seal Ganon away. And then that goes through a link to the past, Link's awakening, and ends up eventually at the two original NES games, Legend of Zelda and The Adventure of Link. But then we have where we've just been, which is where Link is triumphant, but we actually then have two different timelines that fork off of Link being triumphant. The one we've just talked about with the Wind Waker through Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks is timeline 2B, whereas Mm -hmm. the timeline we're focusing on now and the one in which Majora's Masks exists is timeline 2A. Is that right? That's right. So 2A is that Zelda, has at this point, has sent Link back in time to go and relive his, uh, his childhood. Because technically, at this point, he was a 10-year-old boy trapped in an adult's body. So it's like a weird version of uh, Big, really, in the uh, adult adult Link uh, stages of Ocarina of Time. But Tom Hanks' sent- Link playing, <laughs> like, a, I don't know, not playing a piano, giant piano keyboard, but, I don't know, jumping on chickens to make them play the different notes <laughs> cockoos just type and, and then eventually the cockoos lose and just kill you anyway so anyway um but no so obviously at this point link has traveled back so link is not the hero of time he just goes back and goes zelda here's your proof that bloke there is going to cause a lot of trouble for you and they go and arrest ganondorf and ganondorf is taken away and you know imprisoned so at this point, Link has done nothing apart from point at him and go, you're going to do stuff. Not really the hero's tale that this Link may be in his head. You know, you imagine you've become the hero of time. You've gone back to your own time period, yet no one knows who you are. No one knows what you did. No one knows what you saved. I have watched a lot of bull- time travel movies that have had that exact same plot. Well, at this point as well, he loses... a close friend to him so at the end of ocarina of time it's very subtle but when he's at in the temple of time walking away spoilers for anybody that wants spoilers for a 25 year old game but when he's successful and he's back uh, with the sword in in the in the stone in the uh, in the uh temple of time he walks away and navi flies away into the distance flying away from Link so Navi his annoying fairy from the original one uh, it flies away from him and that's the that they don't see each other again so this is where we come down to this timeline now we're not going to talk about the future games in this timeline yet there is a very important one that we need to bring up towards the end of this but we won't talk about the other two games as part of this timeline yet. But let's concentrate on the first day, on the first section of this podcast, on Majora's Mask. Oh, we got there with the timelines. You've got the lion's share of the research. Uh, I've been doing my own research. I've also been reading a book. I've been reading a book on Majora's Mask, uh, which has proven to be very interesting. And I've not been able to get all the way through it, but I've definitely enjoyed uh, what I've seen. 
It's from Boss Fight Books, and it's by a chap called Gabe Durham, and it's called The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. It includes a bunch of translated interviews, as well as some new interviews, and also, as I think some of my favourite uh, books on gaming do, includes talks about his personal relationship with the Zelda mm. games, what his first discoveries were, and also delves into something that I think we'll be talking about a bit later, which is fan theories. So, uh, <laughs> or f- fact, <laughs> or theory. <laughs> but the one thing that I think we can definitely take to um, to, to be a fact is originally Majora's Mask wasn't meant to exist. No, it wasn't. It was so basically what happened at the end of Ocarina of Time. Nintendo was still clinging on hope that the 64DD would be something and do something. So Miyamoto set uh, the creator of the uh, original temples, um, uh, Iji uh, Aonuma, he set set him a task to go and create, basically make the temples harder, put new things in, you know, added extras. There was always rumours that they were going to add the Temple of Light. That is something that's been heavily rumoured for years um, and create what was known as Zelda Aura. But Aonuma did he didn't want to do that he put in so much effort and miyamoto fairness miyamoto at this point had hands-on control of every zelda game that preceded this but aonuma was like i've i've been around since pretty much the beginning and i want to take control of my own zelda game and at this point it was like okay that's fair enough but you've got one year to create this one year the one constant in this is he has a year or him and mm-hmm. his team have a year. It's a much smaller team as well, I think. It's like about a quarter of the size yeah. of the t- of the team that worked on Ocarina of Time. But Aonuma has talked about this a number of times in different interviews. And the thing you'll notice with a lot of Japanese game developers, particularly when compared to Western game developers, is they're always very polite, even after they're no longer employed by that developer. For the most part, they're always very polite about it. It's a cultural thing. But you've got the um, the two different sides, which is um, Miyamoto offering this as like throwing down a gauntlet to Aonuma of basically going, you've got a year to do this. It's like challenge Annika, but with the Zelda game <laughs> and less spandex. And Probably. there was an interview where specifically he said where specifically the interviewer said, so you're saying Majora's Mask was the result of your team picking up the gauntlet uh, that Miyamoto had thrown down. And Aonuma said in that interview, yes, that was the deal. However, oh no, there is a separate interview where basically he agreed to work on the uh, remix as it were, that was originally thought of, that would have been a 64DD thing, that would have been those extra rehashed dungeons. And he couldn't get into it. That's when he just started designing all new dungeons and then turn around to Miyamoto and said, can I just make a new game? And that's when Miyamoto replied, yes, but only if you can make it in a year. Both end up at the same place, but one has Miyamoto being a bit more of kind of a... um, a, a laying down the gauntlet and the other is Miyamoto going I want this and Aonuma going tried it didn't like it can I do this in a year or can I do this but being told you've only got a year 
and a much smaller team. The truth possibly lies somewhere in the middle. I would Both think are compelling so. stories, though. Because at the end of the day, Miyamoto does come across as this lovely, cuddly uncle. However, at the same time, he's a ruthless businessman. And he wanted Zelda. He got Zelda. Well, brackets. We're going to put Bucky O'Hare ears here because at the end of the day, there's, it, it, it looks like we did get Zelda Aura. Which, obviously, if you've got a copy of Wind Waker, you also have a copy of the Master Quests. And that's what Zelda Aura was rumoured to be. Lots of Zelda fans are adamant it isn't, and we're going to come across a ROM at some point with the Light Temple in, because there were lots of stills that came around in magazines at the time of the Light Temple. I think it's become a bit of an obsession with people that know this wasn't just an early concept. This was kept in and it was going to be kept in for the 64DD. So I think there's a lot of people that do still like I'm adamant that, you know, that the harder temples weren't just it. Um, And they are harder. The Master Quest ones are. But with that, he knew that that was an add on. This was a whole new Zelda game. And to be honest, it was him and so it was it was a and um, Yokiashi Kazumi who head up, who was he was in charge of all the character designs for Ocarina of Time. They head up this game. Now, with the idea of this game, it's sort of, as I said, he, as you said, he created the dungeons already with, with Majora's Mask. We'll go a little bit into gameplay in a minute, but it only has technically four dungeons, which is equal to the smallest amount of dungeons in any other Zelda game. Even the Game Boy did not have only four dungeons. <laughs> so at this point, they have these small, small dungeons and they come up with the idea of the premise of the game because Kazumi was creating a board game called Cops and Robbers. Now, what Cops and Robbers was based on was it was one side was cops, one side was robbers, and you had a seven-day cycle. And this seven-day cycle was you either had to be evaded or be caught uh, to to catch or be uh, or evade and that sort of came into because he was creating this game at the same time that concept came up as well but you were very excited to find out that this wasn't influenced by the movie you thought it might be I don't believe in trauma. I don't believe in pain. I don't believe there's nothing left but running here again. I don't believe in promise. I don't believe in chance. I don't believe you can resist the things that make no sense. I don't believe in silence, cause silence seems so slow. I don't believe in energy, if tension is too low. I don't believe in panic. No, you'd have assumed that this would be a Groundhog Day or maybe Time After Time or, you know, one one of those various ones or even, like, I don't know, Back to the Future, maybe even a bit. But no, it was the 1998 German thriller Run, Lola, Run. And apparently Aonuma's pitch to Kazumi was simply, what if we made something like Run, Lola, Run (laughs) into a game? One note, and this is where things get slightly contradictory, Miyamoto says that he saw the trailer for Run Lola Run after the game was in development. But that's him. That's not Anumi, you know? That's that's not 
that's not that that's Miyamoto going, huh, that looks a bit similar to the game we're developing, you know, in 1990, whatever. And then and then going and watching the movie and go, <laughs> oh, it's quite different after all. I, I almost feel like that's Miyamoto saving face. Well, it, it does, even though it is a Nintendo game, and as you said, it has a different feel to it than a uh, Run Lola Run, it's still got the very dark feel and a very, like, we, we'll go into possible theories or conf- confirmations in a minute, but it has this very much this foreboding feel to Majora's Mask. And part of that comes down to that during the development, one of the development team got married and they got married out in Korea. And the whole team went off out there. And while over there, I think it was Kazumi that was in his hotel room and could hear explosions from the border because at the time, uh, the North and South uh, tensions were really, really high. And actually there were there were exchanges of gunfire and exchanges of maybe some weapons testing. And he thought to himself, how is it that with a wedding and something that's so celebration, you know, something of such a celebration can happen during this time of tension? And you get that feel for it all the way through the game of how can something so happy, you even get it and it inspired hugely the couple's mask that you get in the game is that how can something that was so much happiness happen while something so dark is happening at the same time? It's funny that you mentioned North and South Korea because obviously with Majora's Mask, you've got the moon, the moon's going to crash. Around the time where this all kicked off, you're right, there was the wedding they went to, but also North Korea had tried to launch a satellite and failed but the rocket slash missile had actually fired and flown over the northern tip of japan and crashed into the ocean on the other (laughs) side wow this was all within the same time frame so obviously in video game nation they talked about the threat of the millennium doom and gloom maybe they were close on that maybe they weren't but it's so interesting that actually it looks like North Korea had swelled <laughs> this game. <laughs> That's something that no one has ever entered this podcast thinking that they might hear that North Korea swayed one of the highest selling uh, Nintendo 64 games of the time towards the end of its lifespan. I've just double checked and yeah, it was August 31st, 1998. North Korea launched a wow. rocket called the Tapo Dong One. <laughs> And yeah, it uh, flew directly over the northernmost tip of Japan and crashed directly into the Pacific Ocean. Now, as we, as you were saying, like the the tensions that you get in North Korea the, from North Korea, the tensions that you were getting from the Millennium Bug and what could happen from that. But at this point as well, there's a lot of tensions come from Mr. Miyamoto because he had given them this very strict deadline, and. The the development of this game started in January of 1999, yet by the Nintendo Space World Show on August 27th, 1999, they had a working demo there. So Zelda Gaiden was born and Zelda Gaiden then went everywhere. You would have seen it in the magazines. You would have seen it in in N64 magazine. It went absolutely everywhere and it went a bit bonkers because no one saw it coming. There was no real prelude to this. It was just there at that point. And it was like, 
oh, we have a new Zelda game and it looked so different. Like it's like the working demo is the market, the clock town. And it doesn't really change much from what we would actually get in uh, Majora's Mask. It was this complete working demo and Nintendo promised it, putting more stress on the team. It's coming holiday 2000. And it was like, oh no, oh dear. Because it's not like you've got until December to get the game done. No, you've got to have that game done by June, so then testing can happen to make sure that it's ready to go by the November launch date. Because not only have they got that insanely tight window, but they actually have another level of pressure that the development team for Ocarina didn't, which is they were going through Ocarina, they were taking their Mario on a horse ideas and mashing them together (laughs) and seeing what would happen. But they... We're waiting for it to click and waiting for it to lock together and feel coherent. And they probably went into it going, well, it's kind of an important title for the Nintendo 64. Obviously, the Zelda franchise is quite successful. Not every game has been terribly well received. Link's Adventure, you know, just saying it's not the best. But they they were happy with it when it came out, but they weren't expecting for what would happen, which is it kind of just be, it blew up. What, 7 million copies sold, something like that worldwide. Huge, huge game. So then you've got, not only is there a year-long development cycle ahead of you, and only a year, but it's also now the difficult second album, and half the band has left. How do you follow the greatest game of all time? That is that it, it's a, not an easy feat to do. You know, Final Fantasy had the same with eight um, and still technically sometimes do have that shadow hanging over them. You know, and I think Zelda had that shadow hanging over itself for a very long time. But with this, how do you make how do you make this Zelda game different? Well, how about you kill off the protagonist? So, if Ocarina of Time was a fairy tale, Majora's Mask is a nightmare. Because our. You mean a Grimm's set- fairy tale? It is a Grimm's fairy. It is 100% a Grimm's fairy tale, with the artwork being very different, it being very dreamlike. And why is it very dreamlike? So, the story of Majora's Mask starts three months after. He's sent back in time. He's pointed his finger. He's done his best minority report and said, Ganondorf's going to do this. And he spends three months with Zelda until he realizes, ah, better go and find what happened to Navi. And as he goes off, he's given the Ocarina of Time at this point because obviously he doesn't get the Ocarina of Time because Zelda has the Ocarina of Time. So Zelda gives him the Ocarina of Time. And he then goes traveling through the Lost Woods. Now, this is important because when you play Ocarina of Time and you do the challenge to get the Bigger on Sword, there's an old homeless man that is in the Lost Woods. Now, 
when you do his part of the challenge to get the bigger on sword, when you go back to him, he's gone. And he's gone because the little blonde Kakiri girl tells you that the spirit, his spirit was taken by the forest. So at this point, Link is riding a pona through the lost woods. He's riding a pona and he comes across the Skull Kid. Now, the Skull Kid is rumoured that he is part the Skull Kid that you actually meet when you're doing the mask, um, the mask challenge in uh, the child link uh, progression uh there's rumors that that's that skull kid that you meet in that and obviously you he comes along takes a pona takes your ocarina and then you go chasing after him and fall into this alternate universe and this alternate universe is the world of termina now, Termina, as we already said, that it's got that weird artwork to Termina. And this is where we come into the five stages of grief. Because Termina are coming to terms with a lot of things. Of all the things, okay, North Korea was a reach. I didn't expect us to talk about North Korea influencing video game development. But here we get to the five stages of grief, which was known as the Kubler-Ross model. Now, this is something I'm aware of outside of video games because uh, this was a psychiatrist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she published a book called On Death and Dying, which outlined this. And essentially, she based that entire book and that thesis on her time working with terminal patients. Now, you're thinking, oh, terminal patients, Termina. <laughs> Termina. Eh? We're going something. No, the developer has kind of shut that down. Uh, by going, yeah, Termina, it's for Terminal, as in hub. But no, she was working with Terminal patients, and basically this entire thing came out of how they processed grief, either based on their own imminent demise or their family, and how their family dealt with that. Because when it comes to those first stages, the first established one is denial. Indeed, because denial is very much what's happening in Clock Town. Because with Clock Town, it's that element of that is this moon going to fall or not you get a really nice exchange in the uh the mayor's office between the uh soldiers and the organizers and this back and forth of is this gonna happen are we gonna have our festival no we should go and find refuge this moon's going to hit us and it is very much that denial and then when you're done with the clock town uh clock down area then you go into woodfall Woodfall is all about anger because there's anger towards this monkey that they believe has kidnapped the princess and it's not until the very end that they snap out of this anger that they have. So then we come onto Snowheads where we've got bargaining because Darmani, uh, the Goron that you eventually take his soul into the mask, is pleading and almost bar- bargaining with that he wants to come back to life. He's, he, he's, he feels like he's left too early because he is the warrior that's meant to protect the, the, protect the prince, uh, the Goron prince. And then we have Great Bay with the depression. So the female singer of the troupe, um, Mikau, who is depressed about losing her eggs. Then finally, we have the Ikano Valley, 
Well, it's all about acceptance because the Canna Valley is all about death. It's everything is about death. And it's almost that acceptance with the girl and her father where he's turned into a mummy. She's very accepting that her dad has died. So we go through all of those levels of grief before we get to the final battle. Now, I knew this theory was coming. Like, I knew this was one we'd be covering because, you know, we have shared notes, but also I've done my own research. I don't know if this is accurate in that I don't like a lot of the people that really big into this theory, like you've had some really, really big videos about it. Some very popular channels have done videos about it. They all talk about that the whole thing with Majora is taking Link and thereby proxy the player uh, through each stage towards stage five acceptance. But also, even if it's true that there is the five stages of grief in this game, which there's a lot of weighty evidence to say that there is. It could also be because over this three-day cycle that you repeat again and again and again, you are encountering a world this is preparing to end. So actually, yes, the five stages of grief are there, but it may not be as kind of like cerebral as, ooh, this is the player learning about the five stages of grief. It could just be it's the end of the world because you know what? I've watched Michael Bay movies on the end of the world, and I don't think he's trying to be cerebral, but lo and behold, the five stages of grief are still in there. Not as well executed, because there's a lot of lens flare explosions and Steven Tyler screaming into a microphone and crackers <laughs> and cracker animal sex with Liv Tyler. <laughs> Never thought I'd be mentioning that twice in the same month, but hey, it's all relating to Majora's Mask. But even the other side of it, with Deep Impact, it still does that. So... I, I think there is the five stages of grief are there, but I don't think it might be as personal as they're making it. Well, there are certain things that point towards, you know, I, I'm one of these people that just enjoy Majora's Mask for what it is. Yeah. But there are things that do point you towards that element of that Link is coming to terms with his own death. The whole thing of, we know why there are familiar faces. That's because they only had a year to do this, so they had to use the same character models. That is the reason why there are familiar faces. <laughs> there are there are asset recycling in this game, out the wazoo. It's got its own individual look, but there are a lot of assets that have just been reskinned. The modelling's done, they've just taken the texture and janked it up a bit or remodified it and put it in there and that's fine i'm not going to complain about that there are some times that happens nowadays with games where i'm like yeah that is lazy i'm looking at you people that just you know create a game using assets from the unreal store without and, and the thing is it's not even a case of using recycling assets it's the fact they're doing it just to make the world look populated rather than actually having meaning behind it but in the case of majora's mask there is a sense of coherence that comes from it. And also, they had a year. Like There, there is so much we talk about now when we talk about crunch culture for mm -hmm. game developers. I do not in any way resent the asset recycling that went on with Majora's Mask because I actually think, artistically, it ended up working in their favour. It's almost like um, The Wizard of Oz. Mm. All the characters that exist in Oz exist in Kansas, they're just different. They're slightly modified. And that's what happens here between Ocarina. Ocarina is Kansas. Majora's Mask is Oz. <laughs> because...
was one of the ones that we bought, I brought up before. I don't even know if it made the uh, end cut. Was us talking about the moon's face because that moon's face. Yeah, they have used it from Ganondorf. So when Ganondorf, when you have that moment where the sages bring him in and he's he's sort of just spiraling down and saying, well, I'll get you next time, Gadget. He's got that face that he's pulling is the face of the moon. So obviously a lot of people do assume that that creepy face that he has is actually him sort of coming to terms with... Ganondorf and defeating Ganondorf in the future somehow we've got the creepy Marcella I know that's not his name but he is creepy and he's a character but he's urging him to be the hero and then you've got the skull kid that represents a very anti-link character that he's complete chaos and the John Robinson of this uh, whole situation less sexual tension Less sexual tension. <laughs> Probably. And then we tune into t- the interview in a couple of weeks' time to find out what I mean. And then you have Tingle. And obviously Tingle's like this childlike figure trapped in a body of a man. He's a man child. Say, he's a man child. And yeah. there's a lot to say about Tingle. Obviously, we've gone through a little bit of Tingle, but the major thing is that's what happened to Link in the end of Ocarina of Time. He was a child trapped in a man's body. And then there's other other uh, theories with the bombers as well, because Link spent all of his childhood trying to link into being a Kikiri. So there's that almost childlike thing of wanting to be part of that gang. You know, you could easily turn around and say, this is very much overlooking into all of this completely. However, there it is a nice theory. It does tie up, but as the another time traveller, the Doctor said, I love human beings. They find patterns in everything. And I think maybe that's what we're trying what the Zelda community or the Majora's Mask community always trying to do with this is they're using those little bits and pieces to almost sew their own tapestry of this is what happened. But there's a part of me that quite likes that as well. I'm not saying it's real. I don't think it, maybe it was never written that way, but I quite like it because of things that would happen to the hero of time in the future. I think the, the interesting thing about the link is dead theory is a, a bunch of what I've seen of it seems to, like at least part of it, hangs on Termina and the whole meaning of Termina and Terminal. But when you've got an interview with the creator who's just like, uh, Termina, Terminal, Hub, it's the <laughs> literally the other meaning of what? Terminal. That's what they did with Navi in the previous game. Navi, Navigator. That was it. It was like, no, there's no meaning to Navi's name apart from it's the navigation device. That is it. So I I am completely believe I completely believe that. I completely believe that. The thing I love about it though is about all these conspiracy theories, because you've gone through two of them about this game, but there are like mm. ten. You yes. know, there are so many. There's a lot of them to do with like um uh, what is it? Tingle is another version of Link, is actually an entire separate theory. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also another theory that Skull Kid is also Link, but Link from another universe, like a parallel dimension and Elseworlds Link, and you know, or a Link at an older point in time. So he's kind of Donnie Darko'd it. Sorry, spoilers for Donnie Darko. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but I love this that I don't think this level of foil hattery exists about many other Zelda games. No, completely not. 
And I find it so funny because we were going through that timeline earlier and now we're back to talking about the weirdness of Majora's Mask, which is, I think, what lends itself to there being that many theories. Mm -hmm. Do you remember on the Video Game Nation episode, I made the joke about Hideo Kojima's Zelda? Yes. And you look at that timeline and swap all of those Zelda titles for Metal Gear titles. (laughs) Completely the same. to the actual gameplay of Majora's Mask itself. And such a small part of Ocarina of Time has become now a huge part of this game. Because as we've already said, that Majora's Mask only has four temples and then the big boss fight at the end followed one by what, you know, a three stages, three stages of this final boss battle. Now, but the major part of this game isn't to do with the temples. It takes a very different route from other Zelda games. As I said, the the this was such a small part of Ocarina of Time, but we've had it these similar things in the past with Link's Awakening. You had paths of go and take this here, go and do this, go and do that. Then you also had it with Ocarina of Time with the Biggeron Sword. But the major part that this is leaning into was the journey that you had as a kid. And that was the collecting of these masks. Now, it's you've got in this game 22 masks to collect and using your bomber's notebook, you have to go around, collect certain ones. You've got ones returning back to the franchise, such as the Mask of Truth, which was uh, for the Sheik Stones. You had the Bunny's Hood that made you run fast. And you had the Keaton Mask, which the Keaton Mask was the first one that you got and you stuck it on the face. You didn't stick it on the face of the uh, guard, but it was stuck on the face of the guard who allowed you to go up Death Mountain. Now, with this is the first mask that you encounter when you come out into the clock town because as you come out a small child comes out and delivers a letter but is wearing the key to mask so you're automatically taken back to the original game and seeing a mask that you recognize straight away now we've been through some of these masks but the overriding thing that everyone got excited about with this game was the transforming masks so you had the different races or in the Zelda universe that you could finally transform into. Now, the first one was fairly frustrating to begin with, and it is fairly frustrating for the whole of the Woodfall Temple, and that's the Deku Scrub. Now, the Deku Scrub is a... I don't... The Deku Scrub's a bit of a nightmare. For blowing up the bubble, so you have to... Your main attack is to blow up a big bubble and then fire it out, or the spin attack. You have to hop on the, the most frustrating thing in any Zelda game where you have to hop across the water three times and land where you're meant to land if not you have to start it all over again which you do a lot in the first temple so that first hour and a half of playing this bloody game you're like 
get me to the Goron, get me to the Goron, get me to the Goron. <laughs> it is, and I think you said it in the uh, last, um, in the UCP this uh, this month, that if you can get past that beginning clock, ta- uh, clock town uh, part, then that Woodfall Temple, you are committed to this game. <laughs> it's... It's not the roughest start to a game, but it is definitely, I think actually particularly now where we have Majora's Mask on the virtual console, it's a game where I can see people picking that up, even if they've, especially actually, if they haven't got the N64 controller for the Switch. I can see people picking that up, trying to get through that first bit and giving up before they've even finished like navigating that first little bit where you have to kind of jump and hold the flowers and skim across and stuff like that basically you know that the the bit the the very first bit yeah i don't even see them getting half an hour in i see them just going well this isn't what i expect from a zelda game i don't have a sword i appear to be walking like i've shat my pants i'm not quite (laughs) sure what's going on so yeah i can see why people would give up at that stage but i'll be honest i'm thankfully fairly persistent even now in fact at this point it's just old age and stubbornness (laughs) <laughs> well, I got my I got my Majora's Mask uh, the Christmas of 2000, and I played it for the first time very, very early in the morning, Christmas Day morning. And I remember Boxing Day especially getting to that first part done at, yet again, having a sigh of relief. Like, a, it was a sigh of relief when you got past the Deku Scrub. And then you come onto the Goron, which I believe is your favourite. You love a Goron. I do like a Goron. I think Gorons are great. Well, we come through because obviously at this point you're you're coming into contact with your first characters that you have to use the song of healing, which means that you can release their spirit and some of them turn into masks if they're if they're nightmare inducing or not. Um, such as the Camaro's mask, which is obviously we've explained before, like a sheet of skin with his head tied sewn onto the top and it human looks centipede. sore it, it looks very human centipede it looks a bit like oh no but you start to get to this healing process and obviously the Gura mask is you 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 come into contact with your first lost soul well at least this one this one's not as bad he's already died uh he's just a ghost that's floating there and you can see him with the lens of truth so it's not as bad and then it's actually quite sweet when he leaves this world that he gets his like little moment of yeah you're the champion you're doing really well so that's not too bad with the goron it's the zora you find him dead in the water you have to drag his dead corpse out of the water and then do the and and seagulls are surrounding him that's the way you see him it's Zelda went a bit dark with this (laughs) so when you progress through you've got different bits and pieces and you're so you're you're helping the people out as you go along, collecting, as we've already said, like things like the couple's mask, you go and get a pona. That have you? Can you remember the stage of the level where you have to get a pona? Can you remember what happens in it? To throw you under the bus a bit. No, I can't. So basically, you find not Lon Lon Ranch uh, after you're able to use the Goron to. Uh, so when you complete the second temple, the Goron's able to 
carry these absolutely huge bombs. And at this point, you can destroy the rock that is protected, that has fallen down, stopping you from getting to this ranch, uh, where these guys are working on it to chop it down. If you come back on the third day and you haven't got those uh, bits and pieces, you can get into the ranch, but the horse has already been taken by the aliens. So what you do is you go there the first day and basically talk to one of the little girls on the farm and she's like yeah tonight aliens are coming and they're gonna take all of the cows and literally you have to defend the farmhouse with a pona against these aliens that are trying to attack the farm it's the most bizarre thing ever (laughs) and then you find out it was all a hoax by the guy that works on the farm just up the road and i'm like yeah but how does he do that because like these they're appearing out of nothing and things like i suppose zelda but it's like we've got aliens in zelda what the is happening Hideo Kojima's Legend of Zelda. <laughs> Although the whole thing of just like you go to a farm and there's aliens abducting cows, I'm like, did this inspire Nope? <laughs> the film that came out the other year. Well, it's funny because if you fell, you, the cow's there and the cow just eats in. So they're protecting the one cow. They've only got one cow left. So you're protecting this one bird and this light shines down and the cow actually goes up into the sky and disappears. I'm like... Oh, it's the most bizarre moment in the world because you get this real happiness that you've found a pona and then you have this madness of, we've got to stop what? (laughs) And as I said, the madness doesn't stop there because once you've got a pona, you can go down to the Great Bay and then at this point, you've got a dead body just floating in the water and then you get my favorite mask of them all which is the uh the zora mask is ace the zora mask how you jump through the water and all that oh it's brilliant i love the zora mask and the pirate level after that of trying to get uh get the uh the eggs back um before you go to the great bay temple it's just I love that whole Great Bay area. I mean, I love with the Zora, like, it's the fact that it's not just a case of, oh, here's the Zora, his name is Macau. Bum, 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 bum. It's like, his name is Macau. He's a guitarist in a band. <laughs> Again, it's it's not even a case of, obviously, The Legend of Zelda has musicians, but it's like, yeah, I'm a guitarist. My vocalist has, like, l- dropped some really freaky eggs. Wow. Well, this has got a lovely moment to it that it actually goes back to the um, it goes back to the uh, Link's Awakening because do you know what the song they play is called? It's the Ballads of the Windfish, which is the song that is in uh, in Link's Awakening, which is another bizarre game actually. Seeing that he is definitely asleep in that one, so that one there's no ifs buts coconuts. No, he's he's in a really deep sleep and you need to wake him up. So after you've done all this and you've collected all the masks, it's really vital that you collect all the masks in this game because if you collect all the masks, then you can get the Great Deity's Mask, which is almost that you can turn in the final battle, you can turn Link back into Adult Link. So the basically the Great Deity is if... Ah, just trying to think of a way to put... Basically, if you got Adult Link and you dyed his hair white, you gave him blue blue face paint, the 
outfit from uh, Breath of the Wild and a bigger on sword that actually fired out lasers. It's it's but it's so much if you have all 22 masks and you go into that battle, because when you get into the moon, so the when the moon stops because these big giants yet again, it's like a fever dream. Basically, you're freeing these giants that will come, these four giants, and stop the moon from crashing down. And then when he doesn't crash down, basically the mouth of the moon opens um, because the Majora's Mask is done with Skull Kid and he doesn't need him anymore. So the Majora's Mask goes up into the mouth of the moon and so do you. And then there's a dreamlike state and you go towards this tree and there's kids with each of the end bosses masks on sat around the outside and they will ask you for your masks and if you give them all your masks then they will give you the great deity mask so it's really vital so it that's where it comes down in these core playing mechanics you have to go and collect all the masks don't go into that without all the masks because the Majora's Mask is a tricky end boss. Yeah, it's you. I mean, personally, you can do it without collecting all the masks. It mm-hmm. is possible. It's just not advisable. No, definitely not. Like there are speedrunners that can do it. You know, dickheads that they are. <laughs> but there are speedrunners that can do it. But no, it is. Uh, it's an incredibly tough boss. But I just, it is that loop mechanic, and it's a. Uh, I haven't. I was hoping that by the time we got to recording this, I would have completed Majora's Mask. I haven't. Mm. I didn't get anywhere near as far as it as I wanted to. But that's because I got distracted. I got distracted not by things outside the game. I got distracted by the game by becoming a postman. By you're right. We haven't even <laughs> talked about the wedding thing. But the wedding thing is kind of creepy because there's at least two different ways you can complete it. You either get it right and it's a man and a woman marrying, or you get it wrong and it's a woman and a child marrying and the child is just looking up at his bride-to-be. It's a man trapped in a child's body. That seems to happen a lot in this game. But there's all those little side quests you get caught on and that you can work on and that you can have fun with, and it's just great. But when you do get to that final boss, you need to have all Mm. your pieces together to go to a modern game that uses the same loop mechanic, Deathloop. Deathloop is just 24 hours, but you have to have all your ducks in a row you have to have all your your perks sorted because that final fight is an arsehole above all other things there is that optimal route to complete it and Majora's Mask is exactly the same you want to get all those masks you want to give them all to the kids because then when you do go into that final battle with Majora's Mask you stand a slightly better chance of destroying it and yay Aerosmith plays again and Liv Tyler's waiting with a fresh box of animal crackers well, this is the first Zelda game which will become a trait of Zelda games in the future. And actually, the 3DS version does add it to the other bosses you face off against as well. But it gives your end boss three different... You face off against, technically, three different bosses. So first of all, you face off against the Majora's Mask and it's just floating around and it's got tentacles at the back and it's sort of spiraling around trying to get you um, and it's it's firing beams of light out of its eyes. And it's not too bad, you just need to hit its underbelly. But then when you kill it, you go, yeah, I've done it. Oh, hang on a minute. And it transforms
into Majora's incarnation. And as you said, being a child in this seems to be a running theme because the Majora's mask grows arms, legs, a cute little head, cute little eye, and starts running around like a child. And every time you hit it, it starts having a tantrum on the floor. It is the one of the most bizarre moments. Like, like the music completely changes to like a little toy toy piano as he's running around. I'm like, uh, what? Is, what's happening now? And it's the most one of the most bizarre moments in any Zelda game. <laughs> I think one of the things that definitely came from this one year development cycle is they had to make decisions quickly they had to decide you know there was no time really to go backwards and forwards and committee they came up with an idea they had to run with it and because they had to run with it it does mean that the first idea no matter how bizarre it might be would be the idea they run with and that's how you end up in stuff like this i mean zelda has always had weird or surreal moments or odd characters even you know before tingle before any of that i mean it says a lot where not only is there asset recycling but also like the mask seller is in ocarina of time he's way less creepy but it is essentially the same character so they decide to bring him back and it's like well let's make him more sinister oh should we do that with yes he's more sinister boom next one oh well we're gonna have lots of adults trapped in the body of children are we not using that a bit too much are people not going to think there's a theme we're going for it but I love it because it is it puts way. It's the um it's it's kind of like the weird it's like weird food combinations. There's all these different elements in Majora's mask and they shouldn't work, but you put them together and you have Lister's sandwich from Red Dwarf. And that's what this boss fight is. It's like this Lister's sandwich, because you have the mask floating around doing the spinny tacks, you have the, uh, Majora's incarnation, and then you have Majora's Wrath. So after you defeat the very childish, so uh, the the very childish mask, he boosts up, he juices up, he literally his arms grow bigger, his legs grow bigger, and he becomes ten times harder. He's got two massive whips, and this is one of the like this is one of those bosses you straighten your back and you go, okay, time to concentrate because. I think that this, like the Zelda, bo- the these bosses in uh, in Majora's Mask, all of them are so unique and so different. But this end boss, I think, is just stands out completely because, as I said, he when you defeat him, there is that element of ah, and you have that in, let's say, you you have a two obviously in Ocarina of Time, you have a two. Uh, two-pronged attack with Ganondorf and then you face off spoilers for 25 year old game you face off against Ganon at the end you know and there's that two-prong attack so when you actually in fact a three-prong attack because you have to try and escape the tower before it uh, goes down as well so you you've got both of these final bosses and they're both equally as entertaining and equally as good but Majora's Mask just stands out so much with this and then when you defeat the final bosses, you go to Dawn of a New Day. I love that. That's one of the nicest touches. You get the intro and you go to Dawn of a New Day. And Skull Kid's there thanking his friends, saying sorry to the fairies for being a bit of a hey! uh, The giants are there. I d- the giants are weird as well. The giants are very odd looking. <laughs> 
A Skull Kid also has a real Hannibal Lecter moment. Like where he just like, he like goes up to Lincoln's like, you smell nice. You smell nice, Clarice Starling. You remind me of the child who taught me a song in the forest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh... But he's, he's back to being his Skull Kitty self, let's say. And then the Marcella uh, who comes to bid you farewell. Have you noticed one of the Marcella's uh, masks? He, he's he got Mario. He, he somehow, yeah. he's trapped Mario. Mario's on his back. <laughs> but he goes and bids his farewell and says, whenever there is a meeting, a parting is sure to follow. And they part ways but this is where we come back to the theories because at this point, Link leaves and he goes off, not back to Hyrule, but into the light. Now, I said we're going to come back to these theories because something does happen. Spoilers for a game that is 20 years old in Twilight Princess because as I said, this is 2.A. We would go on to, in this run, we would go from Majora's Mask Twilight Princess to Four Swords Adventure. So this is 2.A. And in Twilight Princess, you are faced with learning different skills from the hero's shard. And at the end, the hero's shard reveals himself to be the hero of time. So he's passed on those skills that he's learned to that link that he can defeat Ganondorf in Twilight Princess. And yeah, as I said, I don't think the theories are real. But at the same time, I like to think that they are real because that's such a nice end to his story that he was never the hero. He was never the hero of time. He just went back and Minority reported it. However, in this ending, no, he's actually he's passed on. But his spirit continued until that moment that he was able to help that link in his story with Twilight Princess and then disappear into the from Passover peacefully. I think that's quite a nice moment. It's kind of oh! by the post credit sequence, isn't it? <laughs> spoilers. Just, spo- yeah, spoilers. <laughs> because you're right, he does go into the light until the post credit sequence where... Hey ho, he's back in Hyrule. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> don't ruin this. I like my conspiracy theory. <laughs> All right, foil hatter. But no, he's basically, we actually kind of, we go full loop. It's the same as the beginning of the game before this entire thing just kicked off. And he's still looking for Navi. He's still got Epona and basically investigates a bright light, finds a tree stump. You hear Saria's song echoing in the background, and then you see a, cu- a wood carving of Link, the Skull Kid, and the fairy siblings and the four giants all shown waving to the player, and that's the post-credit stinger. But I do like the idea that even though Majora's Mask is a time loop game, that actually what we then witness is the beginning of a loop outside of that loop. So you have the loop of Majora's Mask, which is three days over and over. Liv Tyler, Animal Crackers, don't want to close my eyes. <laughs> and then when he completes it, the other loop starts again, which is the loop outside that, the loop of Hyrule. And so we, so yeah, it, it's a loop within a loop. I love that idea. As or, we've got a timeline within a timeline within a timeline. 
a loop within within a loop within a loop. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Zelda. <laughs> and then try and explain to people that Breath of the Wild means nothing. All timelines converge on Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I don't know how it works. The answer is, like all great fictional series, they're making it up as they go along. So actually, the feedback from Majora's Mask was huge because lots of people actually said that it was a better game than Ocarina of Time. They scored it really high, 95%, 90%. Um, some even scoring 100% as Ocarina of Time had done in the past. And it's it sold not as many, so just over 3 million copies. Um, which was still a hu- huge moment because you've got to remember that the N64 at this point is only a year away from not having any games come out for it. In fact, there is a nine-month gap between in the Western market between Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 coming out and then Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 coming out and no other games coming out for the console. So to sell that many copies, because Conker came out about that same time, Conker's Bad Fur Day. That did not sell the copies that this did. So it's it's to me it's quite nice because it is one of those Zelda games that is definitely a Marmite Zelda game. There's people that listen to my show, uh, N64 Life, that hate Timson, I'm looking at you, hate uh, Majora's Mask. However, there are people like me that have such a fondness to it. And I think it was from that excitement of seeing uh, Zelda Gaiden um in the magazines before and then its release and because it came off the back of my favorite game of all time um where do you think it really sits because lots of people like to rank things and lots of people when they know that i love zelda ask me rank every zelda game and i go ah it depends what day of the week it is um where do you think it sits with you as a zelda game I think it's in my top... Hmm, it peaks into my top five. Like, yeah. number one Zelda game for me is A Link to the Past. Mm-hmm. I don't think that will ever change. No. And I don't... I rate Link's Awakening very highly. However, it doesn't... It, it Basically, it kind of actually occupies the same slot in my ranking as A Link to the Past because... Gameplay wise, they are very similar. They kind of they they more so than a lot. They they kind of exist in that same world of gameplay, not necessarily world of story, but world of gameplay. So, I think I rate Majora's Mask above Ocarina of Time. Do you really? <sighs> but for the simple reason, I'm weird. Like you go over there and you look at my Blu-ray shelf. There's some weird movies over there. You look at some of the games I played on that Halloween stream. They were weird-ass games because I deliberately sought out the weird games to play. Same with the books I read. Same with the music I listen to. I like weird. I like games that twist your melon. I Mm. like games that go weird and dark places that are the grim fairy tales. This game was rated suitable for everyone in America. I cried bullshit. It shouldn't have been. No. This game is way too dark for kids. And if they don't get it, it's probably for the best. If they just go, oh, it's a weird, fun game. Cool. 
don't look into it too deeply because regardless of whether the stages of grief are real, regardless of whether Link is dead because he was walking across Abbey Road barefoot, the game is dark. It is people coming to terms with the fact their world is going to end. There are people going, I don't want you to stop the carnival. I don't care that there's a shark in the water. It's going to be the best summer Amity has ever had. Amity means friendship. Um... It, it's all those things together. And that to me is why I don't think I'd ever put it in my number one mm. because a link to the past lives there. And a link to the past is my chicken soup Zelda game. That's just the game that I can go to and play. And I love the opening. The opening to a link to the past is just one of my favorite video game openings of all time. Uh, definitely in top two video game openings for the Super Nintendo. It's right up there with Super Metroid. Just those two hand in hand. Uh, there's shivers up the back of my spine still now um but it's in that top five and i think it will always stay there because it's a brilliant game it's got a very cool game mechanic quite a unique game mechanic and also i love the wind waker because it was something really new and different for zelda but it was not as brave as Majora's Mask, because even though they introduced boats and a new art style, it was also it was a it was a Zelda game. Mm. You know, it would it did the thing, but this game did weird stuff, and it did weird stuff because they only had a year, and because they only had a year, they had to go with their gut instinct and they had to take risks, and sometimes they had to do things that maybe didn't make sense at the time, but thankfully the elements merged together. So for me top five right now because i'm actively playing it and i'm going to continue playing it after we're done recording this podcast it's probably about three yeah no i i it's a weird one because it sort of sits in this weird realm of um my chicken soup will always be ocarina of time that is a game that i can stick on now and i don't even think and i go oh i'm an adult link am i you know, it's it's uh, you know it's one of those games that I've played so often and I've completed it so often that it was it it was one of those moments in my childhood. Yeah, Majora's Mask was that second moment in my. It was the second Zelda game I had completed, and it was so interesting. Like when I went and completed the because I've completed the 3D version uh, back in 2016. Because I started playing again and I noticed my save file was 2016. I went back and collected all the masks again and I did it all properly. Obviously, there was a bit of muscle memory when there was differences in the bosses. That was like, oh, bloody hell, this is a bit different. But at the same time, there wasn't... Because I'm not being funny, but you get stuck on a mask nowadays. What are you going to do? going to google it i didn't have that i had a couple walkthroughs you know but at the same time i wouldn't live off them i wasn't doing everything off them nowadays if you play the 3d version you just end up going oh well i can't do this but i'll do it and i think with that first run through of majora's mask there was a moment of ah oh, i feel so relieved i was the first person i knew that had completed it fully like with all of the masks so it always sits up there because i've got that emotional connection to it it sits up there quite highly. And there was, you know, as I said, such an excitement with uh, with Zelda Gaiden that I was so excited with seeing it in the magazines that when it came out, it was, you know, it, it lived up to my expectations. So for me, it's always going to be in those top top five, I would, top four, I would even say, definitely top four 
and I'm playing through at this present moment time Wind Waker for the first time. And I think to myself, as I'm playing Wind Waker, I've put 30 hours into Wind Waker at the moment. So it is a proper length Zelda game. But at the same time, I go, ah, I could be playing Majora's Mask. I haven't done Majora's Mask <laughs> on the stream from Harvard 100%. And, but that's how my brain goes because I want to, Zelda for me. It's very much that comfort zone. I never have got along with these two latest versions of Zelda. I like them. I find them fun, but I will never consider them Zelda games. They are open world games to me. They're not Zelda games. Um, And that's just me being the grumpy old sod I am. But I do like it that people do enjoy them. Don't get me wrong. Um, I I do think that actually one of the joys of Zelda as a franchise is the fact it can be whatever it wants to be with a variety of success. You look at the difference between Zelda 1 and Zelda 2. That's a huge difference. (laughs) Yeah. But then you look at Zelda 3, you look at A Link to the Past, and then you look at Zelda 64 at an Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, and then you're right, The Wind Waker. But then we move on to... Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess. But you also look at the side games, at the remakes, which don't even just remake the original game in the modern style or in the original style, but do their own things. And then you look at Hyrule Warriors... Which has become Zelda. a huge. It's become a huge game. I haven't ever played Hyrule High uh, High Rule uh, Warriors yet. I haven't played it. Mario can reinvent himself. Mario can be two D, can be three D, can be paper, can be an RPG. It can do. He can do all of these things. But actually, it feels riskier for him to do that than for the Zelda series to do that, because for the Zelda series, reinvention is part of the process. It's a different and link every time, or or different links are being used. So that's it's nice that you don't have to use that. You know, you have a look at, let's say, the latest link, uh, link journey, and it has to quickly explain at the very beginning, this is why you're starting off afresh. This is why, boom, I'm not going to give any spoilers there. This is why you're, you're starting off afresh. This is exactly why. However, we've let's say if you're going from a wind waker to a twilight princess different timeline different zelda different links different zeldas this you it gives you that freedom to just be creative i i just i i think that's why this game will always stick up there because it's um every zelda game has been brave to some degree whether it's gameplay style changes whether it's uh, technical achievements and i am looking at links awakening on the game board mm-hmm. shouldn't have worked really nope. shouldn't have absolutely did beautiful game um the cell shaded look for wind waker i mean link has never looked like that before ever like it's such a it's not even anime style it's that very specific subset and i love it and so that's why i love this game and that's why i love the zelda series i haven't played the most two recent games and i'm upset that i haven't because i do like zelda i do like open world games it's just purely because they came out in the time frame when I was asked to do a podcast. So this has been our second focus episode. I took lead on the first, you took lead on this one. I've loved these discussions. I've loved just going through this. I've loved doing the research and just taking the time to, to, to sit a while and talk about an individual subject. And I can't wait for the next one. This, is, this has been so much fun. And thank you for the work you put into this, Cliff. 
because you know you you i mean this is you know there's nintendo 64 zelda games in particular are a passion point for you mm-hmm. because n64 life your love of the nintendo 64 i rash you on it on snes versus nintendo 64 you know i love both consoles <laughs> yeah but i love what you bring with it i i love that this is your this is your bag and I hope you listeners, it's been your bag as well. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for continuing to join us on our new journey. If you think you know someone that would like this episode, would like other episodes this month, it would just like what we're doing now in general, please rate, review, subscribe, share on social media, in your club discord, on your Twitters, on your Reddit. Well, I don't know if Reddit, is Reddit still a thing? I don't know. TikTok us. TikTok as flossing or something like that. I don't know. I'm old. I don't get social media. Instagram is about as far as I can go. But please do share us out there, particularly if you know someone that listened to us on the old feed. We have encountered in the past couple of days people that missed the memo, that didn't know we'd changed over to a new feed. And now they're just catching up. So, you know, hey, hashtag great joke. Link them up. God's sake. You've already used that joke today as well. I saw you do it on Yes, but that will be yes, but this will be like three weeks in the future. And people will have forgotten because while well, the internet is forever, social media is fleeting. It is fleeting. And on that note of social media, you can find us on Twitter or X or whatever we want to call it, at underconsolepod, or on the Instagram slash Freds uh, under dot console um you can also find the lovely discord channel in the show notes below go and join it you'll get all the latest news pretty much anything that we announce um usually me or ash get a bit excited already on there and usually post it up on there and there's the lovely community over there so go and join them and if you want to give a little obviously only give what you can only if you can go and support us monetarily over on patreon and on that patreon at all levels you will get ucp extra where we cover period or subject appropriate bonus content over on this month it was the final episode of the short-lived legend of zelda cartoon well excuse me princess You also get our monthly community podcast, Under Console Nation. But at the £5 level, you get all that. Plus, you get the public episodes early, uncensored, and always ad-free. But that's not all. At the £10 level, you get all that. You get to be part of our monthly Golden Joystick Waggler Waffle Calls, which is where you get to hang out with myself, Cliff, Luke, some combination of the three. (laughs) which will also be made available later for £10 and £5 backers to watch and see what they missed. But that's not all on top of that, because you also get to be listed alongside these fine folk. Andrew Greenwood, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chrissy26, David Palmer, Gordon Aitken, Gordon Brands, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mangagirl, I Am Cheadle, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Link Campbell, Mark A, Matty Boo, Misha Summer, Reese Wynn, Sean Dunn, Selena BN, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S, Will C and Xanderthal. And we will see you lovely patrons in a week's time for you, CN, and in two weeks' time, you'll get our lovely leap year bonus episode for all with the interview with ash and john robinson but that's it from us another a ucp focus in the bag and we shall catch you all very very soon good night 